think what we learn really plainly this morning from our text is that we are all dying for righteousness. And whether you frame your life like that or not, uh, it's true. Uh, whether you, you know, work away at your job hoping to find your identity there, or, you know, you argue online hoping to find your identity there, or you post the perfectly curated picture hoping that you'll find your identity there, or you raise the perfect family, or you name it, everyone is dying for a certain sort of righteousness. And the question for us will all be, how will we get it? How will we be vindicated? How will we be okay in the eyes of ourselves and ultimately before the eyes of God? For Paul, there are only two ways, and he lists them before us this morning. There is this of-faith way, or there is a way that is of-law. And for us this morning, the of-law way has a really simple built-in premise. Just do this and gain life. If you want to be righteous, if you want to live, if you want to be okay, just do this thing and it will be yours. And the world has been running on the power of that particular motor since the beginning. And whether you again frame your life this way or not, it it infiltrates your your daily behaviors, your daily feelings. I mean, how is it that, you know, you go online or you go on social media and you look and you look and then you come away and you feel either depressed or envious or energized to do better? Uh, Or maybe you feel like you one up to everybody and your post for the day was better than everyone's, but then, of course, you have that sinking feeling that you better do the same thing tomorrow. You see, there is this built-in reality of we must do in order to gain life. And Paul wants to see that that, wants us to see this morning, that way of living, while perfectly human, and in one sense, original, that it's deadly. And so I want us to see this morning, first of all, that we are under law, thus under curse. We are under law and thus under curse. You notice in your text, uh, it reads this way. We're mostly focusing on verses 10 to 14 this morning, and we'll probably backtrack and uh, take this again from a different angle in a week or so. But you read in your text, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. But that is not really the most helpful translation, because it's not what it says. (laughs) That's why it's not a good translation. Uh, It simply says, those who are of law, are under a curse. And in fact, it's paralleled with verse 7 when Paul says, those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, and thus those who are of law are under a curse. So he's not saying that it's your improper reliance upon the law that puts you under a curse, but just simply being of the law places you under the curse in some way. So for Paul, it's a comparison. You can either be of faith, you can be that kind of person you associate with of faith, or you can be an of law kind of person and find your identity in life there. And of course, for the congregation in Galatia who began of faith, they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, believed on him for the forgiveness of their sins, received the Spirit, and all was well until Judaizers came in and said, Hey, you've done good so far. All you need to do now is begin to take on these ceremonies for the law of Moses in order to become truly one of God's people, a true Jew, a true son of Abraham. 
And so they began of faith, but now they're tempted to place themselves under the Mosaic Covenant by these ceremonies. And Paul is saying, it's just one or the other. You can either be an of-faith people and associate there, or you can be an of-law people and associate there. But he says, I want you to know what that means for you. If you decide to go over into this uh, side of the ledger, and you decide to become circumcised, and you decide to start keeping the ceremonies of kosher eating and so forth, he says, I want you to understand what it means to be under that covenant with Moses. I just want you to have a, a little lesson to see what you're getting into. And he says, the first thing you need to understand is to be under the law is to be under the threat of a curse. Now, he doesn't say to be under the law is to be cursed, but he says built into the law is this threat of a curse if the law is not obeyed. And so you heard in Deuteronomy 27, maybe it came through to you after a while, there was this word that was used over, cursed be, cursed be, cursed be, and all the people responded, amen. So if you don't honor your father or mother, cursed are you. And everyone said, yes, let that be true. And so you're under the law of Moses. And again, those people were accepting it. They were saying, yes, amen to these things. And they weren't, again, being cursed at that moment. But the understanding was, if you happen to do these things, you will be under the curse. And so the threat of the curse just kind of hung over the contract. Uh, you'll notice in verse 10, Paul really wants us to see that threat and curse go hand in hand. If you rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. Uh, verse 10 again, cursed be anyone who does not abide. Verse 13, you've been redeemed from the curse of the law by someone else becoming a curse. And so notice he's saying, first of all, not just those who abuse the law are under a curse or those who break the law, but just anyone who is of law, anyone associated with this covenant is always living under the threat of a curse. It could happen at any time if the law is broken. Paul proves this by quoting Leviticus 18, 15, those who, the one who does them shall live by them. And so notice he isn't pointing to a first century misapprehension of the law. He's not saying like, oh, don't rely on the works of the law. You're just reading the law wrong. He's saying, no, the law has a built-in threat, just like the law said. If you're going to, you know, the one who does them will live by them, meaning he will gain life by them. He won't come under condemnation. He will be justified or vindicated by the doing of the law. I mean, we read again this list of curse sanctions from Deuteronomy 27 this morning. They're built into the contract before you ever break the contract. Um, they are inherent to the very nature of the covenant. So, for instance, when you take out a loan on a car, uh, there is a built-in threat, which is if, if you don't pay for this loan, one, we're going to take your car back, right? We're going to repo the car, and we're going to destroy your credit. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that's going to happen to you, but it's built into the contract. If you do certain things, this will happen to you, and so, therefore, don't do those things. But the threat is there, inherent in the very deal that you've made itself. And for Paul, he's saying, don't you see? Being of law has a built-in threat. You have to know that before you get into it. 
It's built into the deal. So if you want to, if you will, get into the aroma of the Mosaic Covenant in Paul's eyes, he would say, you know, if you want to get the sense of it, you know, what's the aesthetic and the aroma? What's it smell like? He says it smells very legal and it's very scary. It's threatening. There's all these things that must be done and hanging over the doing is a threat that if you don't do it, consequences will come your way. And as we read this morning, the law promises to a curse to those who don't keep the whole thing. And not only don't keep the whole thing, but keep the whole thing all the time. I mean, Paul builds right into his argument. If you're going to start with the law, if you're going to become an of law person at step A, circumcision, then guess what? You have to be an of law, per, of law person all the way to Z, keeping every commandment all the time, abiding under the works of the law lest you be cursed by it. He says, if you want to start, you don't just get to get on the treadmill and get off. He says, you have to keep going until the whole thing is over. Cursed is to everyone who does not abide and continue by all things. So notice from Paul's language, the obedience to the law that's required is continuous. Our confession says it's perpetual. You have to keep doing it. Uh, and it has to be in all things, Paul says. It has to be perfect. It's not just a hit or miss thing. Like, well, you know, you had all these weird commandments, and I, you know, I haven't had uh, any kind of improper relationships with an animal, therefore I'm okay, even though I dishonor my father and my mother. Paul says, no, it's all or nothing. You don't get to miss one thing, but keep nine things and be okay. If you're off in any of them, the curses that you have pronounced over yourself or you've agreed to are ultimately going to threaten you. Maybe you've seen uh, the bumper sticker uh, all over uh, Southern California in particular, uh, no bad days. You've seen this bumper sticker? Usually there's palm trees on it, you know. Um, and I don't know if it's like a wish fulfillment thing, you know, that's what they're hoping for, but uh, no bad days. Uh, and the law really has the same thing, but its bumper sticker would come with a guillotine over it. And it'd say, no bad days. You know, you can't have an off day. You can't just, you know, wake up one day and say, I was in a bad mood. I was tired. You know, I just didn't have enough to eat. You know, you know, I get hangry. It wasn't really my fault. Paul says, that's not how the law works. It's all or nothing. You do it all the time and you do it perfectly and you don't get to hit pause no matter what may be standing in your way. There's no mulligans or do-overs. The righteousness that the law requires is like a car with no scratches in it. And then he gives it to you and says, now, keep it that way forever. You know how that feels, <laughs> those of you with new cars. And then you can just get one like mine, you don't have to worry about it anymore. For Paul, it is clear that the law has a feel. And the overarching feel is one of needed obedience with an intended threat of punishment if that obedience is not met. And when Israel agreed to this covenant, the words they used, you'll notice, were, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded, we will obey. I mean, can you imagine having the audacity to say that? I mean, consider, it's like they knew better. When you saw their demeanor the first time they met with God on Sinai, it's like they knew that that probably really wasn't what they you know, wanted to say in one level. When God came and he arrived on Sinai, they said to Moses, you speak to him. Don't let him speak directly to us. They say it's too frightening. We are too terrified of becoming into his presence. 
that the law came again with terror because of the people that it was meeting. That legal and threatening reality of the law is proven all throughout the scriptures. I mean, when the prophets come and finally start pronouncing the judgments of God on Israel, what do they do? They just keep quoting Moses. They say, you know why this is happening? I mean, let's turn to Deuteronomy. You know why this is happening? Let's look over here at this passage. They over and over brought up the very covenant that they agreed to, and they said, you guys said you would do it. And here's the results. All that, and for Paul, one very big thing that he would want to mention, is says, uh, besides that, there's just no place for Gentiles in it. If you want to be a part of this covenant, you have to stop being Gentile and become a Jew. So you're already at a severe disadvantage. I mean, if it's scary for an Israelite, can you imagine what it's going to be like if you join up as a Galatian? I mean, have you not read what has taken place previously? And so he asked that question, are you sure, Galatians, that you want to be of law? So the first thing we see is under law, thus under curse. We see second, under law and thus underachieving. Paul's wording is a bit strange uh, if you consider it carefully. Look at verse 10. He says, everyone who is under a law is under a curse. Okay, check. We can, we can understand that. And then he quotes a verse that says, obey the law and you won't get cursed. And then he concludes... So it's clear no one will be justified by the law. It seems like he's missing a premise to get to his conclusion. He just says, to be under the law, there's a threat of a curse. So therefore, obey the law. And then he says, see, no one's justified by the law. Well, there's an implied third premise in there, which is no one does it. He says, sure, you know. Everyone under the law is under a curse if you don't do it, so just do it. And his implied premise is, no one can say honestly that they've obeyed, and therefore no one will ever be justified by this means. This of law way of living will just never come to pass for anybody because of what's wrong at present with our nature. Paul knows, and you know, at one level all of us know that our nature and the way that we've lived our life will of necessity trigger these curses that we all say amen to. I mean, can you imagine hearing those things and agreeing, I'll obey every single thing in it, and then having him repeat it and saying, amen, amen, amen. What kind of sinking feeling would be going on in the inside? You know, you see everyone else saying, you're thinking like, maybe this guy means it. He is a pretty good guy. But, you know, you on the inside are thinking like, this is not going to bode well for me. I mean, as soon as I say to you, even this morning. So here's the rules. Keep them all and keep them forever. How do we each to a person know somehow that we're doomed, that that's just not going to work out perfectly? I mean, all you have to do is do it, Paul says. And one thing is certain, Paul then goes on to say, no one gets justified this way. No one just does it when they're told to do it. I mean, what does Paul come, why does he come to this conclusion? And ultimately, it's because Paul does have, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, a low anthropology. He doesn't have a high view of human nature. 
He doesn't think that, you know, we are, for the most part, pretty good with maybe a flaw here or there uh, that can be corrected with ease. He instead says, no, there's something fatally flawed about us. And because there is, any time we're told, do the right thing and do it all the time, it is going to kick off the bad parts of the contract. You know, those clauses that we were trying to avoid are going to come crashing down on us because of who we are by nature. It's not that Paul is a pessimist, but he is a realist. If Paul were here today, he'd say, one thing I know about people is that they will fail you and ultimately that they will fail themselves. And even those people in the world who don't know God's standard, or at least they don't know of it as God's standard, they set standards for themselves all the time. And even those standards they can't meet. Each one of us is burdened with the reality of a conscience that says, the person that you aspire to be, you have not been. And the hardest part is, you will not be, at least in your honest moments. Maybe on January 1st, once a year, you're like, this is the year. Uh, And then, you know, by January 4th or so, you're like, maybe, you know, next year is looking good compared to this one. We are a world just brimming with hypocrites. Because mankind is ultimately broken And humans are, scripturally speaking, hopelessly flawed. And unfortunately, the law doesn't fix flaws. That's not its gig. The law is really good at showing you your flaws. It shines a very bright light on them. The law is like one of those, you know, really um, disgusting hotel mirrors, the, the enlarging ones. When you look in the big mirror, you're like, oh, my complexion's not too bad. And then you look in that thing, and like there are critters and stuff like crawling around in your face that you didn't know. There's gaping moon-sized holes in your face. And it's, you know, it's shocking. You don't want to see it that much. You know, all of a sudden you're like, that's fine. Dim lights are great, and uh, no mirrors would be even better. Well, the law is that mirror. And when you walk into, you know, the world thinking, well, I'm not that bad, then the law says, that's fine, but here's what's actually required of you. And all of a sudden, those things that had remained hidden from sight because of our way of self-justification start to be, uh, come into full vision. As one author writes, the law is like a mirror in which we behold first our impotence, Second, our iniquity, which proceeds from it. And lastly, the consequence of both, our obnoxiousness to the curse, just as a mirror represents to us the spots on our face. What's interesting is, of course, we live in a culture that just doesn't really do this. They're not interested in this. We don't do guilt anymore. I mean, we do do guilt But then we get to choose who's guilty, and then we don't do guilt. You know, whatever we're doing is the right thing to do, and then the people over there, they should feel guilty about, until, of course, the situation flips, and then our our morals flip. But that's a whole other matter for another day. But we aren't really interested in saying there is this overarching moral constraint, and thus you are guilty because of it. Or we will tell ourselves in, you know, uh, in no uncertain terms that we're pretty good people. And that, again is not something that you just hear about in church and is make-believe. I mean, look around the world. Listen to what people say and how they speak of themselves. Listen to how we excuse our own problems and condemn other people's. Listen to how you will over and over again try to put yourself in the right 
by sugarcoating or painting over your own flaws. There was a particular episode of a show that aired for a short time uh, where, you know, you were hooked up to a lie detector and, you know, you were then given questions. And the, the idea was if you would tell the truth every time you were answered, asked a question as you were hooked up to this lie detector, the, the money you would win would increase question by question. And, of course, the questions got more and more scandalous and intrusive as the, the, the show went on. And so the question was, how, how much guts do you have? Are you willing to tell the truth now it's, I mean, $250,000. We're about to ask you about some dirty secret. Are you willing to air it publicly? Well, in one of these episodes, there was a woman married to a New York City police officer, and she was asked about her married life and had no problem answering the question honestly in full view of the watching public that she had, in fact, cheated on her husband and, follow-up question, would rather be married to someone else other than him. Didn't even blush. The lie detector said, yep, she's as honest as could be. And after admitting all these things, she was asked this simple question as the next question, which upped her financial gain. Do you think you're a good person? To which she answered, yes, I believe I'm a good person. Now, you would think that's the conclusion of the story. The real conclusion is the lie detector shot over to the false side and she lost all her money. That even we who want to do away with the idea of guilt know deep down that we're not okay and that our guilt is ever before us. And no matter what our culture says to want to be freed from this constraint, you can't free yourself from the reality of the guilty feelings and the shame that flow from them. So even if the law is offered as a blessing for obedience, clearly the curse is what is affected when it enters into a world of fallen humans. I mean, think about just Israel's story in brief. I mean, the first generation in the wilderness dies there. They never see the promised land. The first group to receive the law dies outside of the land, and that includes Moses and Aaron. They don't get to enter into the promised land by this mode of living, by this of law way of living. I mean, even while in the land, they could never fully shake those surrounding nations. They could never do the job that was put before them. Their very first king, died and was removed due to his disobedience. Their second king, what was at one point, I mean, was really, in one sense, the high point of their living in the land. He was not allowed to build a house for God's name because he had too much blood on his hands. And he was an adulterous man. The third king couldn't control his own passions nor his own sons, though he had the wisdom that the world came all world over to seek. And that nation of blessing after that king split in two, and ultimately both of them were ransacked and scattered to the wind. Everything that is written in here, we will do. We will obey it. And their history said over and over, no, you won't. There is no way to gain life as an of law sort. And that has been Israel's story, and ultimately it's been the story of humanity. And so the last thing we want to see is under a curse for the cursed. 
As one author writes, the trouble with human nature is that we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in the world, including God. In short, we are born slaves, slaves to the lust for self-gratification, concupiscence. And that's why, if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and His ways. And therefore, God must intervene in our lives in order to bring salvation. It's like, what do you do? There's this of law way. And Paul says, that's a dead end. It has been tried. You have, you know, these Judaizers come and you say, hey, come join us under the law. He says, haven't you read the history of the law? Haven't you seen what happens when you unite yourself to that covenant? It ends in death and a curse is always hanging over your head. And he says, you know, as long as we have our nature, that's going to be our story. Unless God interrupts and does something in our stead. And that's what we see. If you'll notice, if verse 10 focuses on what the law accomplishes for the one who depends on it, what does it accomplish? Curse. Verses 11 and 12 and following focus on what the law cannot accomplish. It can accomplish cursing you, but it cannot accomplish justifying you. It will never bring you life. You will never be able to stand through the, the judgment of God or even your own conscience under the law and live. We'll get into this more in some time, but the law does set up a way of doing as the way to life, meaning if you do these things, you will pass through the judgment of God and end in life eternal. And that's true. The law does offer that. As we've seen, uh, the offer is a real one. We're just not that good at it. But Paul says there's this other way to get life, this of faith way. And he says, I'm recommending you go that direction. If you look at the history of your people, of, of God's people, if you look at the history of the world, I would reject the of law way of getting there and go to this ledger, this of faith way. This is a means to gain life. So the righteous, you'll notice he says, he's, as he quotes Habakkuk, shall gain life by faith. The righteous shall gain life by faith. So notice he's putting a lot of stuff in a little language. The justified ones, the ones who are declared righteous, shall live, shall gain life, this eternal life, by faith. And he quotes a very interesting portion of Scripture that I can't get into all the details, but I will say this. It's toward the end of Israel's history in the Babylonian captivity, and Habakkuk is sitting there, and he is watching the judgment go down. He sees the nets drawn, and he sees the people being gathered into the nets, and there is devastation all throughout the land. The temple is being destroyed. The people are being carted off. Women and children are dying before their eyes, and there are fires all around. And he's asking, how do we make it through this judgment? And God says to him, the ones who will be vindicated will get there by faith. And in one sense, he's saying, Habakkuk, look around. You want to do it by law? This is what the law gives you. Law gives you enemies tearing down all that you've built, threat coming to your family and your homes. There's judgment everywhere. If you want to make it through this judgment, cast off the way that you've been doing it as a people and believe in the goodness of God and you will 
come out alive. Notice for Paul, it's faith, but faith in what? Ultimately, faith that the curses you do deserve won't fall on you. And it's not because of your faith that this happens, but because of who you are trusting. You'll notice Christ is presented in this text as a whole new way. There's an of law way and there's a way where faith looks to Christ. Christ, you see, isn't just this final blessing of the law. Like, you know, we, we sang for the blessings of the law this morning from the Psalms. And the psalmist is telling the truth. If you do these things, you will be blessed. How blessed the man who does all these things. He'll be fruitful. His table will be full. His family blessed and riches and wealth. And everything he's saying is true. But why is it there are so many more psalms of lament? than there are psalms concerning the blessings of the law. Because while true, the people couldn't do it. And so you have this promise of blessing in the law, and yet it's not realized. And Jesus isn't just this like, well, the law is a great blessing, and Jesus is like the high point of all the blessings of the law. Paul says it's one or the other. There's this new way of blessing where Christ is the ultimate and the different manner of righteousness. And notice he is this blessing to us by one means. Because he became a curse for us. He became a curse. Notice in verse 13, he participated to the bitter end in all that you saw in the Old Testament, all of those passages where you think, man, God's really rough on people. You know, he really judges sin harshly. Those pale in comparison to what Christ experienced on the cross. He underwent the eternal and the temporal curses of God on our behalf. He came as one under the law and he got up every day and did what he was supposed to do. He never got tired. He never gave in. He never gave up. He never took a a vacation week from his role as the one obeying the Father on our behalf. He never had an off day. You know, some people read the the Gospels and him cleansing the temple. It's like, oh, you know, he was moody that day. No, he was obeying the law perfectly in every scenario that he entered. And even in his weariness, even in his betrayal, even in his defeat, even in those lowest moments, he bows the knee and says, not my will but your will be done. And at the end of all of that obeying, the curse did not pass by him. But it fell on him, and he bore it to the full so that you and I will never have to experience it. Even though we have done so much to earn it, even though our consciences won't let us off the hook, even though this message makes it, uh, this message is hard to believe because of what we have done in the past, Christ is saying, I have taken the curse on your behalf for you when I was hung on that tree. And notice for whom he does it. He doesn't do it for the righteous few just doing their best. You know, we had a little and we did the best we could with what we had. But he does it for those who are under the curse. Those who have already shown that they're fallen. Those who have already failed. Those who have already, you know, took the first step on the treadmill and didn't quite make it to the end. They quit partway through. Those who saw the law 
and said they could do it and yet failed miserably. They become the blessed because he was willing to become the cursed for them. People of God, your life and your living do not get the last word over your eternity. If they did, we would already know the conclusion because we've seen it on the cross. But that was what you earned. You earned the very crucifixion of the Son of God, and he willingly took it in order that the blessings that he deserves can be given to you. And they are yours now, only apprehended by faith. So may we put our trust in him afresh this morning, the one who became a curse for us. Let us pray.